Can we just pray together for a moment? Lord, we're in front of remarkable words this morning, words of life. We're in front of words of life on, a, on, a, on an earth that you have handmade, on an earth that is groaning and grieving as well. And so this morning, do justice to your word in our hearts, personally, as a community, and in this place, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you very much for your welcome. I'm about six years late getting here. <laughs> it was all booked, it was all set up, but I have a wretched back, and the last time I was due to come, it decided to do what it does. So I was horizontal out in rock, white rock, and you were vertical here in the city. But uh, it was very nice, and there have been all sorts of overlaps. Even in this last month, I was asked uh, if I had friends in Delhi who could look after the Gould family, and then discovered that they were sponsored by you. We were able to find friends in about 12 hours, which was really good. And uh, so that's been a nice little special moment just recently. And I share the corruption of birdwatching with your pastor. <laughs> but we haven't talked about Brexit yet, so I don't know what we share with regard to that. But it's very nice to be away from home at the moment, may I say. And uh, I appreciate your listening, and I appreciate your listening on a difficult topic, because candidly, uh, there is all kinds of confusion in the environmental world, if you like. There's confusion in the community of those who are professionally engaged with doing what they can, just like we are. There's confusion in the Christian world about what to make of it all. And there's probably confusion in our own lives, uh, because even this morning I have committed a number of ecological sins. I'm absolutely sure of it. It's, it's bound to be the case. So what I wanted to do, because maybe this is uh, an easier road in for us all, I wanted to give a quite personal reading of this text that we heard, uh, just read to us now. And you may have noticed that uh, it was in the message version. And that's a personal moment for me, because we first met Eugene Peterson here in 1996, when we first came to teach at Regent College. And as you will probably know, we lost him this year. And he was one of the fathers of the Arosha tribe. He was very practically generous to us. He filled our theological tank. His reading of, of the Christian life, of the community life, of being a Christian in place, had a powerful impact. And we had the, the great privilege of working with him in different places. So I wanted to sort of honor him this morning by, by taking that reading. And it's a beautiful one, and it's quite personal. He starts off, what a wonderfully, wildly wonderful world, Lord, you've made. And then he goes on to talk about the sharks and the salmon and all the rest. And just this morning, my son, who runs a conservation organization on a tiny island in the South Atlantic, sent me footage of sharks, just that he was sort of touching off the side, whale sharks more than that. I'm seriously jealous. But there are places still in the world, praise God, that are wildly wonderful, abundant. Uh, but that isn't actually our normal picture. And this is where I wanted to be personal. We 
Miranda and I have been involved with Rocha now. Rocha. Eles sabem como dizer Rocha. A Rocha. The Rock in Portuguese or Brazilian. <laughs> uh, we've been involved for 35 years. During that length of time, half of life on Earth has been lost. Not in species terms, but in terms of those animals, those plants, those insects. Half of it has gone. It's what's called the thinning of life that we have lived through. Just in the lifetime of this small organization, this small Christian nature conservation organization, half of life has gone. And, and that's personal to us all. So when we first came here in 1996, I remember it was different to now. Even just in my personal anecdotal experience, and probably in yours too, if you have any eyes to see it. And so it's a wildly wonderful world in some places, but in many places it's not. Just to make this specific, I was hearing that you have lost 80% of your swallows in British Columbia in the last 20 years. This will be down to the global disappearance of flying insects, which even in the deepest rainforests, recent service surveys are showing are 75% gone. They did a study in German nature reserves recently, and you know Germany has the reputation in Europe of being our greenest, most committed country. And in their nature reserves, they were startled to discover that insect numbers were down by 70% on the time that the last survey was done 30 years ago. So something remarkable is going on in, in God's wildly wonderful world. And I just want to respond like the psalmist to this in a way and say that um, if, if we are going to engage with this as Christians, it's not going to be out of social guilt or political compulsion. It's not going to be out of other motivations apart from the fact that we are a people who have been brought into the wonderful love of God. We are people called to love. First of all, to love God, then to love each other, and then to love our place. But loving necessarily in this kind of a world is going to imply loss. And it's the first challenge I personally face, and I think we all face if we're going to be honest about the world we live in, is are we prepared to carry on loving in a situation which hits us that way? In one of our early regent classes, I remember we had a student, I think from Australia, and he was a dragonfly specialist. And he had studied a particular wetland for about 15 years, the way that only dragonfly people can do. <laughs> he discovered that the frogs used to launch themselves into the air and grab flying dragonflies as they went past. Nobody knew that. Quite impressive. I imagine now they have slow motion footage. Technology has really helped us understand how wildly wonderful this world is. And he'd been studying away, and then somebody thought, we'll have a road here, and they went straight through the middle of it. With about three weeks' consultation. And he knew pretty much every plant in that place. 
and he certainly knew all the species of dragonflies, and he knew the complexity of it, and the road just went straight over the top of it. And he said to me, how am I supposed to understand that? How do I cope with this sense of, of loss and anger and bereavement? And we just sat there together for a while. Because I have handled in my life probably about 50,000 birds. And I remember some of them on our Portuguese study site. We had known them for seven or eight years. They used to go 3,000 miles away in the summer and then come back every winter to the same bush. How they did that, I have no idea. And one morning I walked down onto our site. It was a Sunday morning, so we weren't banding birds. We were taking a break. And there were these old guys there with plastic bags full of birds. And they'd be putting twigs out with glue on them, and the birds had been landing on them. And they're just So I went through the plastic bag, and it was like a collection of old friends, birds that we'd banded six or eight years ago. So how are we going to cope with that? I want to suggest to you that if we're Christians, if we're people like Jesus, we don't take our distance. We don't give in to anger, although that may be our first sense. But we keep loving in the context of loss. And I know that could be very personal to some of you here. As if you know anything about the story of Arosha in Canada, you will know that it has been a season of loss, a personal season of loss. And that has affected the whole Arosha family globally. And we've known it over the 35 years. Anybody who stays in this kind of work over a long wavelength knows that the purple Christian paperbacks don't tell a true story. But the personal challenge is, will we keep loving through loss? I think that's where this psalm takes us. Loving makes us vulnerable and loving makes us grieve. If you have time and you want to follow up on this, there's a wonderful article that Christianity Today uh, published interviewing Christian biologists. And many of them look at the lament tradition in the Old Testament for how they find their faith renewed. Because lament is an authentic strand of Christian living. It's a very good article written by a young woman, a biologist called Cara Daniels, and I recommend it to you. And um, I think it's true to say that the conservation community is a grieving community right now. We were at the World Conservation Congress about 10,000 people from 160 countries. And these are the people who know what's going on to an extraordinary level of detail. And so for the most part, there's a sense of grief. But what is often lacking is the engaged love of God that says, this is the world we will embrace. We're not taking our distance. We will be there like Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And God is with us in the loss. So that's the first thing. And it's, it's the authentic Christian gospel, isn't it? God gave his only son for the world. But if God's love in us implies loss, God's love in us implies hope. And going on in that psalm, it goes to this wonderful prayer. The glory of God, let it last forever. Let God enjoy his creation. I don't know if you know, but that kavod, that, that glory of God, is seen in the Psalms as what God has made. The creation is God's glory. He loves it. 
in the Arosha team this week, we were reflecting on the best thing that God could think of doing for the meek of the earth in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek because they will be given the earth. It's a precious, wonderful gift. The earth matters to God. And this prayer of the psalmist is, could the glory of the Lord last forever? May the glory of the Lord last forever. And that's a hopeful prayer. We have absolutely no idea how that transformation will take place, how that final redemption will take place. We have a, a senior member. The Arosha tribe, if you like, has a number of fathers in different disciplines, theological fathers and you know, people like that. But we also have some, some fathers in the biological sciences. And the chair of the Species Survival Commission, Simon Stewart, who's a wonderful Christian, happily, my son-in-law is now his pastor, so I'm really keeping tabs on him. Um, he, he is somebody who is passionate about frogs, knows too much about them, really, if you're trapped in a car with him for three days. And um, anyway, um, Simon was reflecting on this tremendous extinction that's taking place in amphibians through climate change, through all kinds of things, about 60 70% are probably now gone of those beautiful species. And these are, you know, he tells me they're golden things with warts on and they have horns and they do gross things, actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I'm a bird person. But anyway, um, he says, I have absolutely no idea whether I will see this cloud forest frog from Costa Rica, which is now gone from the face of the earth, in the renewed kingdom and in what form, but I'm absolutely sure in one sense I will because God loved that. God's God's creation is, is, in some sense, forever. There's a foreverness. So there is a tremendous hope. And I think uh, when life is good, one can forget about this important future. You'll notice in church history, when life is rough, people remember Jesus is returning to his earth in glory. And the face of the earth will be renewed. And the Psalms tell us that. So God's love give us, gives us hope. It's a very distinctive way of working environmentally. And we've honestly seen that hope in very practical ways. Had there been time and had I wanted to risk technology, which I don't like to, I could have shown you at this point a number of wonderful before and after photos of where God's people have been in a place and it now is as it should be. And it's flourishing and it's come to life. And some of these places you can see from space. The gospel can be seen in the landscape from space. That's how it's supposed to be. God's love is written in our personal lives. It's shown out in the beauty of God's family, committed to each other, loving each other through differences and difficulties. But it is also supposed to be written in the places where Christians are so that they flourish and show the glory of God. And when we abandon them to rough, conflicted politics, or where we say there is no hope, then we are denying that our God, his love is poured out on, on the earth itself. Here's what Richard Baucom, another one of those great Christian thinkers about this, says. In a situation of disappointed and uncertain hope, which is where we are now, it is the virtuous trio of faith, hope, and love that must keep us going. 
In the New Testament, faith and hope are often linked with endurance. We may need to be prepared for a lot of just keeping going, sticking it out, not giving up when it would be easy to. But faith, hope, and love, working, of course, with all the resources of knowledge and expertise, and I would add science, that we can muster, must also lead us into new visions of the possible, even within a sorely damaged world. I want to sit for a moment with that word possible and impossible. There's no getting away from the fact that the Christian faith is impossible. It starts with the resurrection of the dead. It starts with Jesus being risen from the dead. Impossibility is hardwired into our faith. We don't embark upon challenges in our lives called by Jesus because it looks possible that we can do anything about it. We used to have a treasurer who would say to us, I'm afraid I can offer you no comfort. <laughs> it wasn't always the greatest way to start a board meeting, but I knew what he was getting at. And frankly, in a situation of, that we're now in, there's not a lot that looks possible about the changes we wish to bring about. That is our home ground as Christians. We're in this because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We're not making those calculations that say, if we had more money, if we had this, if we had that, if only these vehicles wouldn't keep breaking down, if only I didn't have to work with this person, if only the species they'd given me for a PhD wasn't a nocturnal diving duck in the south of Ireland where the IRA liked to wander about. That was one of our early students. <laughs> We bless you, you know. <laughs> he was literally wandering around the south, the border country of, in the Badlands in those days, studying nocturnal diving ducks in sub-zero temperatures. I was just so grateful I'd done theology. But anyway, <laughs> we're not in the territory of the possible if we are going to be gospel people, good news people. But just like with, you know, Sarah who, who laughed about Isaac... What is impossible to you is possible to God. And that is what keeps a Christian environmental community, which is all communities, which is your church, going. Why are you an environmental community? Because as Miranda is always keen to say, we have an inevitable relationship with creation. It's only a question of will we deal with it like Christians or will we deal with it like consumers who think the more stuff you have, the happier you're going to be. We don't have a choice. We're going to be environmental. So is it going to be redeemed by God's love? Or are we going to delegate it to ways of thinking about the world around us that don't belong to this impossible gospel of transformation and love and hope? So from there, the, the final question is, if God's love takes us to a place of loss, if God's love implies Hope, because of the impossibility of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Finally, God's love implies faith. Wendell Berry said, How can you love your neighbor if you don't know how to build or mend a fence or keep your filth out of his water supply or your poison out of his air? How will you practice virtue without skill? 
The ability to be good is not the ability to do nothing. It's the ability to do something well, to do good work for good reasons. So what does good, faithful work look like? The first thing I want to say is it's not just for the specialists in frogs or the bird banders or the, the green guys. I'm quite pleased these days we'll often go to a church and there's a green team. You know, and they've got rid of the plastic and you can recycle pretty well everything and the pastor's recycling his sermons. It's got to be progress. Anyway, <laughs> um, but in a way, it's not the point. The church shouldn't have a green team. The church should be seeing God's creation through the lens of God's love. It's for everybody. And in particular, uh, this is a personal passion of mine. It's in our working lives as builders, farmers, people caring at home, people living with what life pulls at us. It's, it's redemption in all of it. It's the possibility of good work. So I think we have got to think about not just how is our personal relationship with God going in this context that we've been given. And yours might be rotten. For all I know, you lost your job last week. The, the good thing about coming as a visiting preacher is I can trample on everybody's corns. I don't know anybody here. I don't know your circumstances, but I do know that the question is, how do we live that love of God in our personal lives? But it's also in all the relationships we have to creation, the air we breathe, the water we drink, any interaction with the glory of God, which is material. And particularly, the challenge for the younger guys here, we have lived uh, a period of wealth creation for the last 300 years now, which has essentially said we will benefit economically at the cost of creation. It's an extractive model. And we now know absolutely that we are wiping out life on earth, inevitably. I know many, many of investors now, because I'm old, and half of us went to save the world and half went off to earn loads of money. And now we're talking to each other 40 years later. It's been a little difficult, but we're getting there. Anyway, they all tell me there's no way of making money without wrecking the earth. Can't be done. But if you don't figure it out, you won't have a living earth. There's, we have to figure out how to create wealth without wrecking creation. That means good work. And it looks impossible at this point because nobody knows how to do it, and that's official. At least they don't in several of the major cities of the world where we've been talking with the best qualified people, people man managing billions in investment funds and top savvy biodiversity experts and people who've gone from the one world to the other. Quite a number of Goldman Sachs people who've, who are now turning their brains to this problem. But we've got to figure it out. And that, for me, is one of the big impossibilities that Christian people who believe in shalom, well-being, the well-being of the community. Because many environmental people call people the virus species. If there weren't any people on the, on the earth, it would be beautiful. But you noticed in that psalm, that psalm 104 is a commentary on Genesis. The difference is in Genesis, you have creation, as it were, singing to God. In Psalm 104, the people are farming and fishing. In other words, they're using creation. And it's still a vision of wholeness and the glory of the Lord enduring forever. 
So the human work is thereby baptized and blessed. But we've been involved in deeply destructive work as a culture since, yeah, well, probably from time immemorial, but at scale since the Industrial Revolution. And therefore, at this moment, we've got to re-believe in good work and Christians should be leading the way and saying, well, whatever else, we're not going to get rich at the expense of God's creation or by making the poor of the world poorer. Because, of course, at the moment, there's a transfer of wealth from the poorest to the richest. How can we live with that? But that's how it's set up. These are the challenges of our times. But let me remind you, God's love in our hearts implies loss. God's love implies hope. And God's love implies faith. And I just want to end very briefly with three personal questions. How do you keep loving through loss? With whom? How? What are the liturgies of your life that sustain you? I have some really trivial ones. When I'm pounding the pavements, fundraising for Arosha, or talking to my latest investor friend, if the meeting is less than eight stories up, I walk it somehow, trying not to trigger the fire alarms in the building. That's the only other problem with that. And during that walk, I can remember the carbon I would have been pushing out if I was using the elevator. I have time to pray, and I have time to think of the poor of the earth who are being hammered by climate change. And I have you know, some good reflections on how Miranda will approve, because it's one less you know, sitting down, eating buns, meeting, and one more bit of exercise. So that's got to be a good thing. But have these little liturgies of life, perhaps, to sustain you in a time of loss. Celebrate every time you see something wonderful. There's still phenomenally wonderful things. I think we saw a rough-legged hawk on the way in this morning, but we certainly saw some eagles. Celebrate the good. Find the liturgies of life. Do it with other people. Sustain yourself. And how do you sustain hope? I think God's word each morning enables hope to rise in our hearts. It's like the grass busting up through the asphalt. You just, God pours his love into our hearts every day, renewed every day. Let's do it. Make sure you have time for God's word to renew your mind and take root in your heart, preferably with other people as well. Find a way of doing that. You may lose a little bit of sleep, but not much. But then if you stop watching television 10 minutes earlier in the night before, it's easier. And let's all see if we can figure out ways to make work a blessing on the earth, because that's God's possibility for us. Thank you so much for listening. David's going to answer the hard questions with others now. I just sort of breeze off, I think. But... But God's word is rich wisdom for us in these troubled times, and we need to, to be those who know how to engage with it. Amen.